0: This is a recording made in the Chapel of the Open Book at the dinner hour service, and we're still under the the beginning. Well, that's logic, if you understand it, because you cannot think of a finish if you don't have a beginning. So uh, we shall get, I hope, one day to the Book of Revelation with its new heaven and its new earth, uh, that there's some distance to be covered. Alright. Now, we're looking still at the last verse of Genesis 3. Because we opened the subject, but it needs a further consideration. Genesis 3, verse 24. So he drove out the man. He is the expulsion. He is coming out into a different kind of world. But there was a link established by God between what was lost and what will yet come. And he placed, and most of you know that that word placed is the Hebrew word shachan, which is translated tabernacle. He placed a tabernacle. He is a place of worship. He is a place that can still link with what was lost. With what might be found. And we can readily understand that our parents wouldn't go as many miles away from that garden of Eden as they could. They were there. And there it was. And we found that among other things, there were the cherubim there and a flaming sword which turned every way to keep. Not keep you away, They were kept away by being turned out. But this was was to keep the way of the tree of life. And when you get to the last book in the Bible and the last page of the Bible, you find that certain ones have at last got the right to the tree of life. And so we've got to the end, foreshadowed at the beginning. Well now the subject before us raises many other points, which I think we ought at least to give an airing to although it's a vast subject to try to crowd in about 12 minutes. So if I don't always turn you to the scripture, if I say it's in the scripture, I'm going to leave it with you to look it up at your, what they call, leisure, because by turning to the scriptures and waiting to how it, our time is gone, and I think you will understand. First of all, here we have at the very forefront of the battle the conflict that's now going on. Worship. Worship. And you may say, well, worship is incidental, but, but friends, When you think of all the agitation that goes on, you sit down in Trafalgar Square, or you pass laws, or you engineer wars, we are all dealing with something which is on the surface, and the root cause is untouched. It's implicit in these words of our Savior, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all things will be added. All it is, this is again in the words that he said, with regard to the law. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart. And then, you needn't bother about whether you love your labour as yourself, or that will flow out of it. You see, if we put God in the secondary place, things will still be topsy-turvy. And they must do, I'm sure that is recognised. Well now, the title which, are, which is uh, given in the New Testament to this one who is called The Serpent are suggesting he's not only called the devil, which is an accuser, but he's called the prince of this world. Now that enters politics and the things to do with kingdoms. And he's the god of this age, and that has to do with a temple and worship. We must never forget that Satan is, at bottom, essentially, a religious person. And all the conflict of the ages... Is revolving round who is God in this present world? He didn't hesitate when our Saviour commenced His public ministry. He didn't hesitate to take Him and show Him all the kingdoms of the world a moment of time, and He said, "They're yours and they are mine to give." And our Saviour never contradicted. We, we may not be sure how He got that authority, but it's, a, it's accepted. And He said, "They're yours for one act of worship, one act of worship." And what he failed to do in Matthew 4, he succeeds to do in Revelation 13. For he gives his authority to the anti-Christian beast that is yet to come, and all the world worship the beast, and they worship the dragon. So friends, we mustn't play lightly with this fact that worship is at the rock bottom of all the conflict of the ages. Something took place before man was put upon this earth where there was a challenge, Now, again, I'm not telling you the scriptures, I've mentioned them. In Ezekiel 28, the the book of Ezekiel starts with cherubim and it ends with cherubim. And there's one in the middle, if you can call 28th chapter the middle. (coughs) There it says there was one who was perfect in beauty. He was an exemplar in wisdom. He was the anointed, that's the Christ, the Messiah, cherub until iniquity was found in him, and he was cast out of the holy mountain as profane. Now, if you understand that, well and good. But it's written, isn't it? That something took place, and this one he said to have been Eden, the garden of God, he was there. Well, that's enough to guide us, that there, was right at the beginning, there was this usurpation of the place that was destined for Christ. Some challenge took place. And don't forget, We've got an indication in the book of Job that Satan doesn't hesitate to challenge the Lord God Almighty. Where the sons of God gathered before the Lord, Satan was there among them and he said, oh, What about your servant Job? And there was a quite an argument went on between him and the living God. That's written in our book. So never let us think lightly of this God of the age and this prince of the world, for if we do, we'll only be serving his purposes. Well now the next thing is this. That this element of worship, eaters, as I say, right the way through. When you look at this, these, um, uh, cherubim, which are given those four heads, the next, next time you find them, are in the tabernacle. Here they're associated with the tabernacle. Well, when Moses built the tabernacle, right in the very holiest of all, made of the matter of the very mercy seat, were the cherubim, and God said, there will I be with you. And that was associated with the sprinkled blood, Of the new covenant. When we come further on to the story of this battle, we find in uh, 2 Thessalonians that although this is a godless time that's that's coming, and it's very evident that it will be so, yet when the great anti Christian monster is dominating the earth, he can't least worship alone. He will sit in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. So you see, wherever you look, you'll find there's this one great challenge going on all the time, and we're in the midst of that conflict. So the challenge comes to you and to me. If God be God, serve him. If Baal be Baal, serve him. But you cannot serve two masters. And all our problems arise out of the fact that in so many things we sit on the fence. Oh, it's easy to speak like that. It's terribly difficult and needs all the grace of God that we just are wholehearted walking with him all the time, which I suppose no one would boast that they ever have done. Well now, let's take another thought. This, um, outside the garden of Eden, chapter 4, this was only to introduce the thought, but of course our time's flying. Chapter 4, what happened outside the garden? There are two men, Cain and Abel, both brothers, Abel is mentioned in the New Testament in the history of the Hebrews as having offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain and he being dead now speaking there's something important about what Abel did. Cain is mentioned in the New Testament he's said to be the son of perdition which is a dreadful title, and he's linked together with two others we read in Jude of the way of Cain we read of the uh, Balaam who was rather swayed by man and we read of Korah who usurped the priesthood and Cain is one of them there's a trinity for you so outside the garden of Eden there are two ways that start now what's the difference between these two men the only two brothers on the earth at the time we are told in verse 3 of chapter 4 And in process of time it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. And you know there are still uh, strange religions in this world where they bring flowers and they bring fruit. Would you say, isn't that lovely? Yes it is, until you begin to realise what they are denying is that without shedding of blood is no remission and you need a sacrifice before ever. You can be made uh, acceptable in the presence of a holy God. You see, we could have a false worship which will please the evil one properly. The more religious we are, the better for him. As long as Christ is not given his rightful place. Let's jump from this for a moment in in time to Exodus. Pharaoh said, Why be so peculiar? Why want to go three days' journey into the wilderness? And you know what Moses said? He said, if we uh, perform our worship in Egypt as we should, we shall offer the abomination of the Egyptians. And do you know what is? It says that in Egypt, at that time, a shepherd was an abomination that was because um, a conqueror. So to offer a lamb was to offer the abomination of the Egyptians. Well now, many churches have accepted that limitation. Don't be so peculiar. And as long as you have a public worship, I'm singing your hymns, and you will read the Bible, but don't put Christ in his essential place, Pharaoh will say, that's all right, okay by me. But as long as you want three days' journey in the wilderness to offer the abomination of the Egyptians, you're out of it. So again we come back to chapter 4. Cain brought the fruit of the ground. Now it says, and Abel, he also. If you go from the original, you'll find the word also is misplaced. It doesn't say Abel also did something, no. Abel also brought something more. Abel brought his own gift, but he covered it. Whatever he brought, he covered it by the one essential. He brought the first things of his flock. He followed the light of our Lord, of, of the Lord in Genesis 3. Our first parents did what Cain did. They covered themselves so far, their shame, with pig leaves, but God stripped them away and gave them coats that could only be offered to them by sacrifice. So, outside the garden, this ought to have been remembered, but instead of that, it was put on one side by Cain, it was remembered by Abel. And here's the two, at the very beginning. And the whole world at this present moment is either walking along Abel's Avenue or Cain's Road. With regard to this one vital question, and it may come under a multiplicity of titles. You may have ethical societies, you may have reforms for this, you may be called all manner of left-hand or right-hand politics, but it's all on the way one road, because the one thing that's left out that's this is what the Apostle has introduced so strongly in his witness. There is one God, and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all, a testimony for its own peculiar reasons, and that's now. So you see, inactive, at the very gate of the garden of Eden, with a the cherubim there, and all that they knew from their parents, and told them, as they, as they must have done, that they'd grown up to be men, there was this division. And here's the next thing which I think is important for us to remember, It was Cain, it was Abel who was slain. Abel who was slain. In this present world, it's not the righteous one that dominates, it's nearly always the wicked one gets away with it. But, if you've got the long view, you see, got the long view, whatever they do to you now, it's only a fleeting moment in comparison with the eternity, which is pledged by God for you later on. And then, you see, you're beginning to take the line which our Saviour took. He was treated like Abel, by the Cain of this world, just the same way. But now with go to Cain himself. Let's see what the Lord says to him here. It says um, in verse 6 of the Lord said unto Cain, Why art thou wroth, and why is thy countenance fallen? If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted. And that's universal truth. If anybody in this meeting can offer to God 100% righteousness, you are the one person in the whole creation who can do without Christ. But you know full well, the best of us, the best of us, would we'll have to meekly acknowledge, well, we may be only 99% righteous, you see. Well, if you're only 99, you're just like the Pharisee who said, I thank God and am the other men, oh, I do this, I do that, I do the other, and the poor old sinner said, Nothing at all about comparison. He said, God, be merciful to thee, me, the sinner. And our Saviour said, That man went down to his house justified. So Cain is here being spoken to by God. If you do well, Cain, you'll be accepted. But supposing you are not, and he says that to each one of us, supposing you do not well, if thou doest not well, sin lies at the door. Now this has been lifted out, especially by novelists, laying something at your door, and we've lost the meaning of it. This is the word that's used in Psalm 23. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. It's not someone waiting to spring on you, but someone at peace. He says, There lying at the door. What door? The door of the tabernacle of the gate in the Garden of Eden. There night. the, now our version says, sin. Now you can look this up for yourselves, you'll discover that the word sin and the word sin offering are one of the same in the scriptures. In the eyes of God, sin and sin offering go together like that. One, the antidote of the other. So now he says to Cain, if you haven't done well, here's the, here's the only way out of it for you, Cain. A sin offering lies at the door, and you'll have the excellency, you'll have a firstborn's tradition. But that's what he wouldn't do. That's what he would. Cain would go and worship God in his own way, but he would not go the way that was the way that Christ had indicated, and which we, re- we realize in the New Testament is the only way. Well, then the last word in verse 13 is about as far as we can get with our time. And Cain said unto the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. I'm coming to this because I said just now that in the Old Testament the word sin and the word sin offering are one and the same word. Now look at this. Cain said unto the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. In the margin, it's put the other way around. My iniquity is greater than may be forgiven. Well you say, what sort of language is this that can have it both ways (laughs) out? Well I'm telling you that there is something about the Hebrew tongue which is very wonderful. Uh, I don't know whether I I I think you've got to be watchful over this but the same Hebrew word for lend is the word for borrow. Now, don't you start on me over that because you see, I, I've got something behind up, up my sleeve over that. Because the meaning is this that it's impossible, it impossible for anyone to lend money if nobody will borrow it. It's impossible for anyone to sell if nobody will buy. Goodness me, in the Hebrew language, is the secret of all business world. You see, people put up prices and do all sorts of things they think they're going to make a do of it. But the Hebrew says, no, no, no. You won't make a do of it, they'll make a do of you. Unless you can find a buyer, you won't find a seller. So the lending and the borrowing are only two sides of the same transaction, and they're not mixed. So, in the eyes of God, punishment (coughs) is the reverse of the word sin. Iniquity. Punishment, one side, sin, the other. They're always there. All again. When he says, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Sin which is born is sin which is forgiven. You see? So watch out for that sort of thing, and you'll discover that in the very language that the Bible uses in the Old Testament is enshrined wonderful doctrinal truth. I remember once, I'll leave you now with this, and some of our friends in Aberdeen will be hearing, I'm speaking about them now, and they'll listen to this later on. But once when I was up there demonstrating something like this, I took it out of my pocket. Oh, I don't know what I've got one now, friends, but I'm not going to ask you to lend me one. Yes, I've got a half a crown. I said, I'm in, I'm in Aberdeen. Don't forget, I'm in Aberdeen. And I say, anyone in this meeting could come and take that half a crown. a many friends as a condition, if you could take one side only. My half a crown was quite safe, and so with the scriptures. There is something about the word of God that's written in these old things that is a wealth of teaching, if only we're it simple enough to let God speak. And we do here.